The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Volume 3, The Classical World, Episode 78, The Classical World Summary, Part 3. The first triumvirate of the Roman Republic was made up of three men, Crassus, Pompey and Julius Caesar. Between the three of them, they influenced the Roman Senate and tried to maintain the stability of the Republic, which was in a precarious position due to political differences in and around the Senate. Crassus was killed in battle by the Parthians, who had previously taken control of the Persian lands that used to belong to the Achaemenid Persians and the Seleucids. While Julius Caesar was campaigning in Gaul, Pompey turned the Roman Senate against Julius Caesar, ordering him to disband his army and return to Rome. Julius Caesar knew that he would lose his influence and decided not to disband his army, but instead he crossed the Rubicon River with them and headed to Rome to confront Pompey. Pompey fled to Egypt, but the pharaoh Ptolemy XIII arranged for him to be executed when he arrived, and Caesar was able to gain control of Rome. One of the most iconic acts of Julius Caesar's time as the de facto ruler of Rome was to reform the calendar and this calendar called the Julian calendar would remain in widespread use right up until the 16th century and even the 20th century in Russia. Although Caesar had managed to gain control of Rome, not all of the senators were happy about this and a group of conspirators arranged to have him murdered. This act, aimed at stabilising the Roman Republic, only served to destabilise it even more. Further political tension within the Roman Republic followed, as Mark Antony had expected to be the man to take over from Julius Caesar as the main leader of the Republic, but Caesar had actually selected a young man called Octavian. Also, there was the added problem that a wise old man within the Senate called Cicero believed that power should stay with the Senate and not with any one individual. But the two would-be rivals, Mark Antony and Octavian, saw that Cicero was trying to manipulate them both and joined forces to prevent Cicero imposing his will. Cicero was murdered as a consequence. There would be no way that Mark Antony and Octavian could coexist. And while Octavian gained control of Rome, Mark Antony would take over the lands of the east, including the lucrative lands of Egypt, now ruled by Pharaoh Cleopatra VII. An alliance between Mark Antony and Cleopatra would be uncomfortable for Octavian, and it wouldn't be long before their differences turned military, with the most important conflict being a naval one, at the Battle of Actium 
in the year 31 BCE. Antony and Cleopatra were defeated and fled, but Octavian was able to track them down in Egypt, where they both committed suicide to avoid capture. This brought Egypt under Roman rule and paved the way for Octavian to become the first proper emperor to rule as Emperor Augustus of the Roman Empire. The instatement of a capable emperor appeared to be exactly what Rome needed to settle the differences within the ranks of the political classes that had been highly problematic for an entire century. The years of Augustus's rule are considered to be an important period for Roman literature and is referred to as the Augustan Age. The works of the poet called Virgil sought to legitimise the emperor as a descendant from the Roman gods and the foundation of Rome being linked to a migration from Troy, linking Romans and Greeks culturally. The lyrical poet called Horace took influence from the Greek lyrical poets such as Pindar and Sappho and produced works of his own called the Odes. Another poet called Ovid wrote a work called Metamorphoses, which tells a mythological story of the history of the world, which would offer further identity and legitimacy to the Roman Empire. The historian called Livy wrote a history of the city of Rome itself. Augustus would take the Gallic city that is known in the modern day as Trier, which was captured during the campaigns of Julius Caesar, and converted it into a meaningful capital city of the northern reaches of the Roman Empire. Trier would remain important throughout its time as a part of the Roman Empire. An incentive for this would have been to have a powerful city from which to strategize against the troublesome tribes to the east called the Germanic tribes by the Romans. If the Romans had found recent success in the conquest of other areas, then they would not experience the same levels of success against the Germans, especially when the Romans experienced a devastating defeat at the Battle of Teutoburg Forest in the year 9, when they were completely outwitted. Something very significant was also happening over the other side of the vast lands of the Romans, in the lands of the Levant, at around this time also. A young man called Jesus of Nazareth was coming of age. Jesus was a Jewish man and throughout his life he would preach a branch of Judaism that would not be the mainstream view. Jesus was abandoned by all parties who saw his ways as being too fractious and he would be executed by crucifixion by order of the Romans. The only people that were loyal to Jesus were his followers who claimed him to be the Messiah called the Christ that God had promised would come to earth as the personification of himself. This view was rejected by the mainstream Jews and so there was a fundamental split from the Jewish faith by the followers of Jesus who can now be identified as Christians. The Christians state that on the third day after Jesus' burial, that he rose from the dead.
The Christians were generally unpopular with their brand of Judaism being seen as troublesome. It was difficult enough for the Jews to practice their own faith in peace without the Christians drawing attention to Abrahamic religion in general. A man called Saul of Tarsus is identified as a Jewish man who opposed Christianity and went as far as persecuting the disciples or followers of Jesus. Saul was heading to Damascus to take some of these captured disciples back to Jerusalem for further persecution. But according to the Christian Bible, he was struck blind before having his sight restored by a Christian disciple. And from then on, he would convert to Christianity and be known as Paul and spend his later years as a missionary attempting to spread the word of Christianity. The Roman Empire itself was growing ever more powerful and gathering more lands under its influence. Following the conquests of Carthage and Egypt in North Africa towards the end of the first millennium BCE, the Romans extended their influence over the whole of the Mediterranean coast of North Africa, including the coastlines of the modern countries of Libya, Algeria and Morocco. Now Rome would have control of all of the coasts of the Mediterranean Sea. Where the Romans had failed to secure lands in the territories of the Germanic tribes after their defeat at Teutoburg Forest, they did manage to secure the lands in Britannia which had evaded Julius Caesar's reach in the previous century. Eleven important tribes of Britannia submitted to the Romans who were under the rule of Emperor Claudius. The long and generally successful tenure of the Han Dynasty in China experienced a period of disruption when Wang Meng, who was a Han descendant, usurped the throne against the intended succession. He claimed that he had received the Mandate of Heaven, which was a highly respected spiritual approval that would be received by all legitimate emperors. And so the Han Dynasty ended and the Qin Dynasty began. After Wang Meng's death, the Han Dynasty was restored at its capital city of Luoyang, so the Qin Dynasty was very short-lived. The Year 100 The Christians started holding their own councils, of which the first notable one was held at Jerusalem, where it was agreed that non-Jews could convert directly to Christianity without observing Jewish traditions and rituals first. So Christianity was already starting to consciously distinguish itself from Judaism, which is a symbolic declaration that Christianity was not a branch of Judaism, but totally distinct. This agreement at the council would allow the apostles and disciples of Christianity to be allowed to preach to all non-Jews, also known as Gentiles. So the conversion could now be done independently from Jewish tradition altogether. The council may have been headed by Peter the Apostle, who would later become the first Christian bishop of Rome and therefore the first Pope. The Christians would seemingly be very forceful about spreading the message of Jesus Christ and this would work in their favour in the long run, but it wouldn't be without its dramas on the way. 
In the year 64, there was a great fire in the city of Rome and it has been strongly suggested the Emperor Nero would put the blame firmly at the feet of Christians within the city, which instigated a Roman persecution of Christians. Peter, the Bishop of Rome, was crucified upside down in an act of shaming the Christian church. He would become a Christian martyr though, with his body being buried in a tomb where his basilica would be built, which is now the prominent building of the Vatican City. Whether or not the story of Peter's crucifixion and the persecution of Christians following the fire in Rome is strictly all true or not, we don't see a similar reaction in relation to the natural disaster in the following decade at Mount Vesuvius, when its eruption caused the death of around 20,000 Romans in the surrounding settlements. Now, just as a disclaimer, this is not a suggestive statement because there are a number of factors to consider. The historicity of many Christian scriptures are always scrutinised and questioned by scholars of both Christian and non-Christian factions. But if the persecution of Christians did happen, then it may have been because Nero had anti-Christian sentiments or because Nero was trying to cover up for the fact that he instigated the fire himself. The fact that Vesuvius was a completely natural disaster could differentiate it from the Great Fire of Rome, which was strongly considered to be a deliberate act. And it was also after Nero's lifetime in any case. What we do know is that the Romans completed the construction of the Colosseum, the great stadium in Rome, and held a hundred days of games in the year after the Vesuvius catastrophe, possibly lifting the spirits of the population and demonstrating a great sacrifice to the pagan gods, maybe in an attempt to avoid a similar disaster in the future. It is also important to note that the relationship between the Romans and the Jews was also far from harmonious during this period. In fact, the construction of the Colosseum is believed to have been facilitated through the use of Jewish slave power after the Jews in Jerusalem had continually defied Roman attempts to water down their religious identity and change the character of Jerusalem into a Roman city reflective of its geographical position within the Roman Empire. This was in the aftermath of a huge Jewish rebellion against Roman oppression that had taken place within Jerusalem around a decade before. Jerusalem was successfully besieged, with many Jews being taken captive. In a display of how profound religion can be, a group of Jews escaped to a fortress at Masada, where they ultimately killed each other rather than be captured by the Romans or commit sacrilegious suicide. The Romans were reportedly stunned when they discovered this self-imposed massacre. It would only be a matter of time before dissent among the Jews would ascend to dangerous levels again in defiance of the Roman desire to Romanise Jerusalem. The Bar Kokhba revolt during the reign of Emperor Hadrian resulted in the expulsion of all Jews out of the city of Jerusalem and an imperial ban on the religion altogether. Emperor Hadrian had inherited the greatest Roman Empire known from his predecessor, Emperor Trajan. Trajan had extended the empire all the way to Mesopotamia, 
albeit briefly due to its reconquest by the Parthians. Control of the lands to the east of the Levant was very important to the Romans now that the popular trade opportunities offered by the Silk Road were at stake. The Parthians were under intense pressure due to the aggression of the Romans and the emergence of a powerful new empire in the lands that had previously been the homelands of the Uagi that had become an impenetrable buffer between Parthia and the route to China. This new empire had been created by a Uagi tribe called the Kushana and they would extend their influence to include a great swathe of land across the whole of the north of India thanks to the abilities of their greatest ruler, Kanishka. This extension of the Kushan Empire helped to speed up the spread of the knowledge of Buddhism through the lands of the Kushan, who actively converted to the religion. And then onwards to China, where it would start its journey into becoming a major part of China's religious identity. Kanishka would conduct a Buddhist council that would standardise Buddhism, but not for the entire global Buddhist community as this was not recognised by the alternative branch of Buddhism that flourished in Sri Lanka. Han China had its own issues securing their own branch of the Silk Road and had to battle with their long-time enemies called the Qiongnu in order to maintain a link to the Kushan Empire who ruled the lands between themselves and the Parthians and in turn the Romans. The Han managed to inflict an important defeat of the Qiongnu. Gan Ying was a Chinese diplomat who attempted to reach the Roman Empire but only got as far as the Parthian Empire where he would still do much to take knowledge back to China and help to create more trade opportunities. It was around this time that the Chinese mastered the production of paper and that skill would eventually travel westwards but one of the greatest desires of western cultures was the attractive material called silk which is why the trade route is called the Silk Road. Going back to Rome, we previously spoke of the Augustan Age of Literature. Following this age was the Silver Age, which saw the popularity of satirical poetry, such as those works written by Juvenal and Martial. The well-celebrated historian called Tacitus also lived during this period and wrote about Jesus within his works, which gives us an important non-biblical account of Jesus' life. Christianity would spread all around the world eventually, but one of the first areas away from European lands would be the kingdom of Axum. But this would not happen until the 4th century. The kingdom of Axum is closely associated with the modern country of Ethiopia, and it would be around this time that Axum would become a significant kingdom in the lands of the Upper Nile, south of the Kushite kingdom of Meroe. It would also be correct to cite this period of time that the great Mesoamerican city of Teotihuacan became of significant importance and it is believed that the people of Zapotec ethnicity would live there among the local population. The year 200 If most of our stories about classical age cultures sound happy and glorious, then the road into the 3rd century 
was nothing short of disastrous for all of the Silk Road cultures. We spoke of how the Roman Empire reached its greatest extent under the Emperor Trajan. But while attempting a military campaign against the Parthians again, the Romans were ravaged by a highly infectious disease, possibly smallpox. All military aggression had to be halted and the Romans were forced onto the back foot. The Romans never recovered to the dominance that they had displayed before this. Always a shadow of its former self from here on. The Romans would make the tough decision of allowing all free inhabitants of their empire to become full Roman citizens in the hope that they could maintain the loyalty of the societies living on the fringes of the empire. The Romans were now experiencing more and more pressure from the Germanic tribes living on their northern frontier, including Gothic tribes who would play a vital role in the later years of classical age Roman history. Rome celebrated a thousand years of its existence with another set of great games in the Colosseum. The games would involve the slaughter of many gladiators and exotic animals in a sacrifice to the pagan gods. But the influence of Christianity on many within the Roman Empire meant that such sacrifices were not looked upon by everyone as a glorious event. These great games masked the fact that the Roman Empire was in turmoil, with emperors being continually undermined, deposed or assassinated. Christianity had gained popularity quite quickly in Rome's African provinces and particularly in Egypt, where it would be referred to as Coptic Christianity, with the language of Egypt being a bit of an amalgamation of ancient Egyptians influenced by Greek language, which was the typical official language of the eastern half of the Roman Empire. Christian theologies would emanate from Africa with more freedom as a consequence. Tertullian was born in the Roman city of Carthage, which was built on the site of the old city. He would write Christian literature in Latin, and he would unashamedly defend Christianity against its critics. Even though he is colloquially referred to as the father of Latin Christianity, his sometimes controversial points of view mean that he is not grouped among the church fathers, who are viewed upon as the earliest authorities on Christianity. Clement and Origen are contemporaries of Tertullian, and created works in the Egyptian city of Alexandria. Egypt had accepted Christianity more readily than most other places within the Roman Empire. Clement originally came from Athens, but became the dean of the Catechetical School of Alexandria, where he would write Christian theologies, also defending the Christian faith. There was another catechetical school in the city of Antioch, on the Levantine coast of southern Turkey. The two schools differed on their teachings of Christianity. Clement was replaced as the dean of the School of Alexandria by another celebrated Christian theologist and writer called Origen. Origen was dedicated to the Christian faith and lived a simple ascetic lifestyle, 
not dissimilar to those early devout Buddhists that we have described during the series. A region is also considered to be a church father, but all of these Christian theologists are also referred to as Christian apologists due to their vehement defence of the Christian faith. So there would be a growing number of works related to Christianity written in both Latin and Greek, which would make it easier to spread the word of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. It does appear that by this time the Romans were trying to deal directly with the Chinese, but the Chinese themselves were also experiencing internal problems with corruption within the political ranks. The population was being neglected and a coalition of Taoists raised armies that would rebel against the central Han state. This would come to be known as the Yellow Turban Rebellion and although it was put down somewhat by the Han military, the rebellion did not completely disappear and the Han were weakened somewhat by the exchanges. The weakness of Han China was evident when local warlords started taking control of their own small territories, so the empire was clearly fragmenting. Emperor Xian of Han had no influence coming under the control of local warlords, and particularly the warlord called Cao Cao. This was effectively the end of Han China as other warlords defied the intentions of Cao Cao to unite China under his own rule. When Cao Cao's son took control of his father's territory, Emperor Xian was forced to abdicate, and then Chinese chronicles report a political relationship between the state of Cao Wei and Queen Himiko of Japan. However, it is hard to obtain clarity on this subject as Queen Himiko appears to be absent from Japanese chronicles, so historians wonder who Queen Himiko truly is. The state of Eastern Wu, which was another state that emerged from the remnants of the Broken Han Empire, also appeared to be exploring international relationships as Chinese dignitaries visited the kingdom of Funan. Funan was centred around the lands of the modern country of Cambodia, but stretched from the west coast of the Indo-Chinese peninsula of Southeast Asia all the way across to the east coast. Funan was known to both the cultures of China and of India and appeared to be prospering from being a trade link between these cultures which is often referred to as the Maritime Silk Road to reflect the sea link between the Indian subcontinent and the Indo-Chinese peninsula. This period was a time when we find the oldest surviving Sanskrit inscriptions, not just in the Indian subcontinent, but also in the kingdom of Funan too, suggesting that Funan was established, or at least enhanced, by migrants from the Indian subcontinent. Epic poems were written in the Indian subcontinent during this period in Sanskrit, such as the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. The epic called the Mahabharata contains 18 particular chapters that are collectively called the Bhagavad Gita, which is considered to be one of the most sacred Hindu scriptures. 
Early in the 3rd century, a new faction emerged from the area of Persis within the Parthian Empire, in a very similar fashion to how the Achaemenid Persians emerged from the same area of the Median Empire eight centuries earlier. This time, it was the Sassanid Persians. The Sasanian ruler Ardashir came into conflict with the Parthians, and the Parthian army was defeated, paving the way for the Sasanians to take control of the entire empire, putting an end to numerous centuries of Parthian rule and the beginning of the period of the Sasanian Empire. The Sasanians were also too powerful for their neighbours to the east, the Kushan Empire, and would also subjugate them in order to take full control of the Silk Road between the weakened Roman Empire and the fragmented Chinese kingdoms. The century between 150 and 250 was incredibly dramatic, and the politics of the world that looked so well set going into this period of time had changed considerably. World religions would also develop a similar manner to world nations. Buddhism split into differing theologies with the emergence of the Kushan Empire in previous centuries. Christianity within the Roman Empire was fragmenting into different branches. This was also a period of time where the Mishnah was written down, which was an oral tradition of the Jewish faith based on the instructions that God gave to Moses. However, it is important to note that not all denominations of the Jewish faith accepted the Mishnah. The most common form of Judaism in the modern world is Rabbinic Judaism, and this branch of Judaism accepts the Mishnah. The Aksumites of the Upper Nile would have been looking to expand their influence over the other very important waterway to their east, where the Red Sea leads to the Gulf of Aden. This would have represented an important maritime route from the Mediterranean to the lands of the east, such as the Indian subcontinent, Indochina and China. So the Aksumites represented a new African power looking to gain imperial influence over their local area. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the History of the World podcast, the third of four parts that summarise the classical world. Of course, next week will be the final part of the summary and therefore the final episode of volume three so it's been a long long journey but we're all here and we've all uh, made it this far so just one more to go and that'll be it now if you enjoy the history of the world podcast remember it's a free project you get to listen to each episode free of charge and uh, but of course we probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those lovely people who supported us along the way and um, they've done that by making financial contributions through the Patreon website. So if you would like to support the History of the World podcast, uh, then do consider making a monthly donation to help to keep us going. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to volume four now, so we need to prepare as much as possible for that. 
if uh, you do want to help me along on this journey, then go to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website, click on the Patreon link and sign up to make a monthly contribution. There are rewards, uh, gifts that I send through the post to you and um, special uh, special privileges as well that I will grant you such as questions answered during the podcast and even for some people, podcast episodes on the subjects of their own choice. Now, if you want to find out more, go along to the Patreon web pages and have a little read of uh, what you can be entitled to. The other thing that you get when you sign up to make monthly contributions is the distinction of being a member of the History of the World podcast Illuminati and your name will be immortalised on the Illuminati list that can also be found on the History of the World podcast.com website. So let's have a look at who are new members of the History of the World podcast Illuminati this week. We welcome Yifang Gong and Mac Burns, now both members of the History of the World podcast Illuminati. Thank you very much for your kind donations. Reviews this week from uh, Corey underscore K95 from the USA has put fantastic podcast. Fantastic podcast. I'm thoroughly enjoying the podcast. Well worth a listen. And then um, we've also got one from TNT Haste from Great Britain, who's put never a dull episode, discovered by accident and can't stop listening, started midway through the ancient period and nearly onto the classics. I'm going to find the very beginning and start the lot over one of these days. So concise, but crammed so much in. Well done, the history of the world. What an excellent program. This is utterly addictive. Um, thank you. Very, very kind indeed. Uh, I can never thank uh, thank you enough for, um, for for all your kind reviews and and always quite humbled by how uh, how complimentary they are. And uh, I hope to continue to entertain you for many, many more episodes to come. So as we now approach the end of the volume. Um, don't forget to write in and let me know what bits you liked hearing about and which bits you didn't like hearing about so much and uh, what bits maybe you're looking forward to about the medieval age. There's so much to talk about there. So um, looking forward to hearing from you, uh, reading your messages and um, next week we'll be rounding off the volume and the summary. So until then, thanks for listening. Be good. Come to the History of the World Podcast.com and join all the other hot worlders on our wide range of social media. Why not support the podcast by clicking the Patreon link or buying me a book and becoming a lifelong member of the History of the World Podcast Illuminati? Drop me a line at History of the World Podcast at mail.com and let me know what you thought of this week's episode. See you next time.